My parents, uh, they had a fish store in Brooklyn. And there was one time when they got fined very unfairly by the state for a technical violation. And I helped my parents navigate that when negotiating on the other side of a lawyer. And, you know, I felt the, the power and the impact of what a lawyer could do. Initially, I wanted to go into either some grassroots or some civic action kind of field, but um, I decided that my value is greater through a different path. Hello, and thank you for listening in this week to Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West. I'm Yumika Anderson Howard, DEI Manager at Dwayne Morris. Today, we are honored to have General Counsel and Head of Sustainability at Armstrong World Industries, Austin So. Austin and Joe will discuss the evolution of the Trusted Advisor, supporting the DC in times of transition. Hi, this is Joe West, uh, partner Dwayne Morris. I'm a member of the Management Committee and I have the privilege of serving as the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Uh, with me today is uh, not just my friend, but a friend of the firm, a uh, good friend of our partner, uh, Phil Cha, uh, and a fantastic friend and client of Dwayne Morris, Austin. So, Austin, how are you doing, my friend? Good. How are you, Joe? Good. Thanks for making time. I know you're busy because you have a new gig under your belt, right? I do. I do. But I uh, always have time for you. I appreciate that. So, how long has it been since you made the transition to the to the general counsel, the chief legal officer position at uh, Armstrong World Industries uh, after, what was it, about five years at Stonewall? Almost six. Okay. Um, so uh, it was just a few months ago, I believe, when you were announced as the new GC at Armstrong. Yeah, it's uh, six weeks ago, exactly to the day. But no one's counting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, if there's anybody who's prepared to take on a new challenge, it's you. Uh, those of you who don't know, Austin is a graduate of Penn, Harvard Law School. Uh, he's had a number of GC positions uh, after uh, starting his career at uh, Cravath and a couple of other firms. Um, Austin, uh, you're transitioning from uh, one industry really to another. Uh, talk to people about how one goes about preparing himself um, just to be in the space of a general counsel. I, you know, I spent five years in-house and I understand how important uh, something that a lot of lawyers don't grasp, which is an understanding of business, <laughs> particularly the business that you're in. Um, but you're making a transition from really one industry to another. Um, what was it in your career path and your preparation that allowed you to so seamlessly make that transition? Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, first, I wanna correct the educational background just for just to clean up the record. I went to Harvard undergrad and Penn Law School. Got it back. Got it, thank you. Yeah, but I think um, to, to answer your question, you know, I tried a lot of different things in my career, uh, many things that probably are not advisable. Um, one of my, my mentors, a very successful attorney by the name of Michael Kim out in New York, he founded a firm called Cobra and Kim. He likes to say, don't be afraid to ruin your resume. And I spent probably the first half of my career trying my damnedest to ruin my resume. Um, so when you talk about 
you know, taking on new challenges. You know, I started at, at Cravath, as you noted. Uh, I ended up as a litigator at Aiken Gump. And in between, I had my own firm twice. I switched from corporate to litigation. So, you know, I guess one way to look at it is, is this was a hot mess. Um, the, the other way to look at it is when I went in-house for the first time, the, the range and the breadth that I had, for example, when I had my own practice, I was serving as a, an outside general counsel to a number of smaller firms. And there, because I had done litigation, because I had done transactional work, because I'd been at a big firm and had my own practice, I could do all of the above, right? I was a, almost a one-stop shop um, in one person. That range has allowed me to, to take on new challenges without being, without being too, too afraid. Well, it's interesting you say that because I tell younger lawyers that there are really two currencies that they develop that will serve them over the course of their career. One is their, their skill set, their knowledge base, the extent to which they can grow that. And the other is their network. Uh, so in answering that question, I just asked, you talked about uh, ruining your resume, getting tidbits of skill set and experience in different places, but you alluded to someone who uh, was a mentor of yours. Talk a little bit about mentoring. We have at least one person in particular who was a strong mentor for each of us, both of us really, Don Liu. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about the value of mentoring, how people have shaped and molded your career, the decisions that you've made over the years, uh, and how that might be an important factor that a lot of younger lawyers in particular might underappreciate? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, I, I, I can't emphasize how important it is to network. And, you know, you and I both have learned from one of the best networkers around, right? Don Liu, who's the general counsel of Target. Um, so let's talk about that for a minute, for a minute, because it ties directly into how I got this job. Um, what Don did was connect two of his mentees, the outgoing general counsel of Armstrong and the and a potential candidate, I guess, at the time. And uh, the outgoing general counsel and, and I hit it off uh, fantastically, as you would imagine, from two people that are mentored by one great GC. And, um, you know, that's ultimately what led to the job. Now, I had to go through the recruiting process and, and all of that, but um, when you have mentors, even earlier in my career, for example, I was able to get the general counsel of 3M on the phone to help me help me negotiate my paltry compensation compensation at the time, right? I mean, he he shouldn't even bother taking my phone call, but but he did. So you know, I think I think this notion of mentoring along the way has been just critical to me and to many people that are in the GC spot. Well, I had a similar experience. Don was actually uh, one of the members of the executive committee at MCCA, the Minority Corporate Council Association, uh, when I was at Walmart and being considered for the CEO's role. And I had a conversation with him and we talked about it. And he actually put me on the phone with Ken French, <laughs> who again, should never have been taken. <laughs> But rest assured, I wrote down every piece of advice that he gave me at the time. Um, what was it that made you decide on a career in the law? Uh, well, that's that's sort of a um, a long answer, but but I guess the short version is when I was younger. So I'm a I'm a what you might call a 1.5 generation 
immigrant. So I wasn't, I wasn't born here, which would make me a second generation by that count. Um, but I, I also immigrated with my parents as a child. So I'm sort of a, what's called a 1.5 generation uh, lawyer. And my parents, uh, they had a fish store in Brooklyn. And there was one time when, I, I don't wanna get into too much of the details, but they got fined very unfairly by the state for a technical violation. Mm. And because of the way they levied the penalty, the amount was astronomical. And I helped my parents uh, try to navigate that when negotiating on the other side of, of a lawyer. And you know, I felt the, the power and the impact of, a, of what a lawyer could do. And I also felt somewhat powerless in trying to help my parents when I was, when I was a kid. And so I think that's what drew me to, to the law. Initially, I wanted to go into um, either some grassroots or some civic action kind of field, um, but um, I decided that my value is, is greater uh, through a different path. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, what you find now is that people who are in positions of influence in corporations, particularly with greater expectations around issues like diversity or ESG, um, corporations are expected to be uh, good corporate citizens now and responsive to sort of like a lot of those concerns that uh, people in the corporate sphere used to be buffered from. Um, talk a little bit about that, the sort of like the expectations of stakeholders, whether it's internal stakeholders like employees or external stakeholders like your end users, customers, consumers, regulatory entities, you name it the expectations of corporations to be good corporate citizens, what that looks like and where that's headed. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I mean, I think you said it. Um, as it happens at Armstrong, um, I not only lead the legal team, I lead the sustainability team. And part of our sustainability efforts includes talent sustainability, you know, as we call it, right? Which includes many things. Um, it, could, it could be diversity, equity and inclusion, but it's, it's, it's other things. What we are focused on from the perspective of sustainability is how does our company that is you know, 100 and, more than 160 years old continue on for another 160 years, right? So sustainability for us is a very broad um, concept. Uh, sustainability in terms of what we call product, pillar, and people. Uh, climate change, um, I know that there are different views on climate change, but certainly from the perspective of a number of key stakeholders, holders, as you mentioned, particularly our investors, uh, they care very much about climate change, um, and a lot of the, a lot of uh, the smart money is pressuring companies into doing more. Um, you just along those same lines, you have been involved uh, with giving back to the uh, profession, particularly in the diversity and inclusion space. You've been involved yourself with the Minority Corporate Council Association. What is it that drives you uh, to be involved with organizations like MCCA, with NAPABA? Uh, I know that you've helped manage uh, Don Lu's scholarship program. Uh, what is it that motivates you to do that? Why do you think that's important generally? Why do you think it's important to the profession? Yeah, I mean, I, let me take that backwards. Um, uh, it, it's important to the profession because uh, the, the field of law has probably some of the greatest challenges and diversity out of all of the, the major professions. From a personal perspective, I think what drives me to support 
in some ways what I view as the underdog, right? And that comes from my roots as an immigrant from a kid growing up in Brooklyn. Um, and if I see someone of perhaps some disadvantage or structural disadvantage, and that could that doesn't mean necessarily race or gender or all of the other you know protected classes. It could be a white male who is first to go to college, right? So when I when I see someone like that who deserves a shot, right, who deserves a little support from people that are lucky enough to have some position of influence, I see that as an opportunity to do what I thought I would be doing with my life, which is um, you know, going into politics or some grassroots movement to help people. And I see that as my opportunity to help people. Well, the other side of that coin is that there's probably some value that that individual brings to the entity uh, that would be um, underappreciated or wouldn't inure to the benefit of the entity if that person didn't get that shot. So there's two sides of that coin. You're helping the individual, but the individual is also contributing as well. Yeah, Joe, I mean, there's, there's no doubt uh, that um, diversity of perspectives, diversity of thought is critical to um, coming to the right decision, right? Uh, you know, groups often get into sort of group think. And, you know, I think that's a mistake for a company trying to grow as, as we're trying to grow. And you're right. You know, at my, my prior company, uh, it's called Stonemore, I had a highly, highly diverse team. And that's what's really allowed me to succeed in the way I have. And, and the legal team was front and center through a lot of humongous challenges that you normally wouldn't see at a public company. Um, and we went through, I mean, you, you name it, we've gone through it. Um, and I couldn't have done it without the diversity of views and the diversity of perspectives, but that's not what I had set out to do. What I had set out to do was to prevent hiring uh, being influenced by my implicit biases or my, my in-group favoritism. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, if I, if I hired people that looked and thought like me, I'd have a team full of handsome Asian American males um, with a high IQ, right? So, um, and, that, and that doesn't lead to diversity of views and diversity of thought. So what ended up happening was, you know, as, as my team grew and people came in, people left and I mentoring is a big part of what I offer. So I've helped people come, come out of Stonemore and get bigger and, and, and better jobs outside. But the last iteration of my team at Stonemore was very diverse, not in terms of race and gender, but also in terms of age, in terms of um, physical ability. Um, so it was, it was an, a team that I was very proud of for a number of, number of reasons, but also for, for what I consider a, an unusually diverse uh, set of people. We have a couple of minutes left. I wanna to touch on two things real quick. Um, I mentioned to you that um, our great, fantastic partner who we've been fortunate enough to have at Dwayne Morris for a couple of years now, Phil Cha, is a relationship partner for you and the work that you've done with him. Um, talk a little bit generally about what in-house counsel expect of their firms, of the lawyers who do work with them generally. I, I used to have get this question a lot when I was at Walmart. And of course it would vary from company to company, industry to industry, but there are some common factors that lawyers, especially younger lawyers who are looking to develop relationships with clients should be mindful of. What are some of the things that come immediately to mind for you? Well, I'll tell you what comes to mind as a, as a huge mistake, which I've seen 
um, lawyers do over and over again, lawyers of all sorts of you know, levels of experience, which is you grab a drink with somebody, you know, GC, an house lawyer, and you're wondering why the work isn't coming the next day, right? It's, it's sort of a, the, I think the impatience and the expectation um, is, is way off the mark sometimes. I, I think relationship partners ought to be thinking about developing a very long-term relationship right? Not a, and, you know, there are metaphors to, to dating, you know, whatever else. You're not looking to swipe left or right. You're looking for, you know, a, a long-term relationship or a marriage. I think that should be the, that should be the approach. And what I'm looking for from an in-house lawyer is things that, you, you know, I think is very common sense. Hyper-responsiveness. When I call, I need to talk to you, right? You, you got to be available. And one of the things I, I would say about Phil is that even when I was a small client or my company was a small client, you would never know it. And I know that he had clients that were multitudes bigger, um, but when you call, he, he, he picks up, he knows your little case, you know, the, your, your $10,000 case while he's got a million dollar case that he's wrestling with, right? But he'll talk to you, know the nuances and the details of the case like you were his only client. And I think, I think that's key. Being a, a trusted advisor in all aspects, not just legal. I mean, if I were to, you know, to have a personal issue and I wanted to bounce off ideas or a political issue, which is not necessarily legal, a political issue with a senior executive at the firm. I mean, he's one of the trusted advisors I would, I would turn to. And I wouldn't uh, discount the value of uh, John Sirocco and uh, particularly Matt Taylor. I mean, they've been fantastic uh, partners of mine to, to, you know, get through all the things that we got through. Well, and that's part and parcel of our culture at the firm. I'm just going to do a Dwayne Morris infomercial plug, uh, consistent with our culture and, and all of the people you mentioned, uh, I agree completely. Um, last thing I'll ask of you, uh, what's the one piece of advice, career advice you would give to younger lawyers, uh, just seeking to make their mark, whether they're in a law firm, whether they are, have transitioned in-house or might at some point, government, any aspect of our, of our industry, uh, what piece of advice would you give? I used to say this to my mentees even before I joined what's known as the death care space, which is what Stonemore does. Um, I used to say, I still say, think from your deathbed backwards, right? Start with your deathbed and work backwards. And what I mean by that is, when you're laying on your deathbed, right? When you're about to pass, the things that you, you regret are not the mistakes that you made, but the, the, the chances you've not taken, the risks that you've not taken. I think that mindset, when you think back to present time, don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to ruin your resume, as Michael Kim likes to say. If you're, if you're a litigator and you really are curious about corporate transactions, do it. You want to go in-house? Do it. You want to go outside and hang up your own shingle? Do it. Because all of these experiences challenge you and make you grow as a, as a lawyer and as a human being. And I think that's what growth and life are all about. And interestingly, you did each of those things multiple times, as it turns out. I guess I'm awesome. basically patting my own, my own back. <laughs> Well, and well, you should, my friend. Hey, look, Austin, I know you're really just extraordinarily busy making a transition to a new GC role at a new company. Uh, thank you for making time. 
I appreciate it. We appreciate it on behalf of uh, all of us at Dwayne Morris. I just want to say thank you, my friend. And thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate your time.